Okay. Grab your donut, grab a coffee, and uh, grab your Bibles. And if you've got a Bible, uh, why don't you turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, there are some up here in the front and some at the back. Uh, Genesis chapter 13, we'll come to that in a minute. But this morning, we're carrying on our series that we began a few weeks ago, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at one of the, uh, the next Beatitude in our series. We're going, to, we're going to do that a little bit by looking through the example of the life of um, Abraham. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The message version of the Bible, the message translation of the Bible puts it like this. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. So a couple of weeks ago, we saw that you're blessed when you come to the end and when you're at the end of your rope, because with um, less of you, there's more, more room for God to do uh, his thing. Last week, uh, we saw that you're blessed when you feel like you've lost what's most important uh, to you, because it's only then that you can be embraced by the one uh, who's most dear to you. And now... Now you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less, because that's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. So first of all, poverty of spirit, and then mourning, and now meekness. All of all, it's awesome. I mean, we're absolutely loving the Sermon on the Mount so far. It's just a stroll in the park. Now, meekness very much like poverty of spirit, like poverty and mourning, they're not the, they're not the typical things that, um, that most people aspire to. You know, you're studying hard towards a decent education or uh, you're trying to work really, really hard to work out and get the most strategic, I don't know, career move, or you're just wanting, we're just wanting to be the best, at, you know, whatever it is that we're doing. We tend not to hear people saying things like, do you know what? Do you know what? It's amazing, like epiphany, like a revelation. I, I've just realized how poor in spirit I am. I'm going to get an awesome degree. It's guaranteed. Or, you know, this season of grief has just been so helpful for me and in just getting me ready for this promotion at work. Or, uh, do you know what? I'm now so meek. Um, I, can, I can take whatever comes my way. They're not the sort of things that we would tend to hear people say. And, and yet, we saw a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Right throughout this sermon, Jesus seems to be going around and he's like he's swapping the price tags of everything. 
He's exchanging the value on everything that we throw our eyes on. And Jesus takes the things that the world values, things that we might hold in high regard, things that we might think are important. And Jesus says, do you know what? You know that thing there? That, that actually um, isn't as precious. It's not as valuable. It's not as important as you might think. And we're like, oh, I thought it was really valuable. Do you know? No, actually it's not. Okay, okay. And then Jesus, instead what he does is he shows us the things um, that the world generally dismisses, things that maybe we struggle with. And he says, now you see that? We go, yeah. He goes, that's really precious in the sight of God. And we're going, no, it's not. No, really? He goes, yep. Oh, wow. I'm paraphrasing. Okay. Just as it was true in the first two Beatitudes, it's, it's, it's true in this one. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, a big part of the problem with this beatitude is that meekness has got a pretty bad rap. Uh, somewhere along the way, I, I think we've lost a sense of what meekness um, really means. Most of us, when we, we think of or when we hear about meekness, we tend to think of weakness. Uh, we, tend to think as, we tend to think of meekness as being something negative. But the meekness Jesus is talking about here, it, does, it doesn't mean weakness in any way, um, shape, or form. Both uh, Jesus and Moses. In the scriptures, Jesus and Moses are described as being meek. And if you know anything about Moses, if you know anything about Jesus, you'll know that they're anything but weak. Your meekness isn't about being some kind of doormat for other people to wipe their feet on. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus isn't calling someone blessed. Uh, because they have no standards or because they have no uh, convictions or because they've got no boundaries. Meekness is this quality that's produced by the gospel in our, in our lives. Uh, meekness is, is what happens to a person. When we talked about the Beatitudes being like the fruit of the Spirit, it's something that ripens in us. It's something that grows in us as the Spirit of God um, fills us. Uh, it's what happens to a person as we encounter the wonderful person of Jesus and are transformed by his presence. The meekness is what happens to us when the kingdom of God breaks through in our lives. It's one of the signs that the Spirit of God is at work in our lives. And um, meekness is interesting because in classical Greek, it was, it was used, apparently, this isn't something I just like know off the top of my head, so like, um, just in case I was misleading you, um, being a classical Greek scholar. Um, but in classical Greek, apparently the word that was used here was used to describe domestic animals. And um, it was used to describe like a horse or um, an ox. So something that was being incredibly strong had been mastered. And so the truth about meekness is that meekness is actually all about strength. It's just strength under control. And so this Greek, the Greek word would refer to a wild horse that had been tamed or was used to um, describe a medicine that could tame a fever or a sickness. And as I said, two people who were described in the Bible as being um, meek, Moses in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament, both incredibly strong, um, both men of great conviction, both men with clear boundaries. Neither Moses nor Jesus uh, were a doormat for anyone. They weren't weak. They had this huge capacity to draw 
light um, and actually at the right time to be tough, uh, even confrontational. You look through the Gospels, you see Jesus at times being seemingly confrontational. But the key thing here is both have been mastered by God. Mastered by God. And, and meekness is this quality shown by someone who, who, who exhibits this incredible strength, this great strength of character, great strength of person. But yet, that's all under control because they've surrendered their life voluntarily. They've, they've been mastered by it. They've, been, they've allowed themselves to be mastered by the Spirit of God. And so... Um, a meek person, therefore, is somebody who doesn't have to look out for their own interests. They're not trying to get ahead. They're not striving, 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 because they know that, believe and trust in their Heavenly Father, knowing that He will look out for them. So I just want to have a look at what this might look like in practice. It's like, okay, that all kind of makes sort of sense, but um, what does that look like in um, in a biblical example, in Genesis chapter 13, there's basically this ruck going on between um, Abraham's, Abraham's shepherds and Lot's shepherds. And Lot was Abraham's younger nephew. And it's a bit like, um, what's that? Is it the McCoy? Who, are the, who was the American? The McCoys and the... I'm looking for Amy. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, it's like... It's, it's like a properly culturally relevant illustration right there. Okay. It's just like, you know the McCoys and the... Who? Thank you. Thank you. Does anyone know what that means? The McCoys and the Hatfields. Who? Catfields. See, I don't even know what I'm talking about. It's just like something I know nothing about. A feuding families. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. Anyone better? Anyone, any improvements? Is that better? So you're saying my illustrations are rubbish? Yeah. Well, I'm going. I'm, 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 I'm deeply offended. I'm hurt. Anyway, feuding families. Okay. Montagues and Capulets. Right. Rather than the McCoys and the other people that I don't even know about. Uh, okay, these... Got their, their, their family, their, their, their family, um, they're both wealthy, but they're, they're feuding because they've both been incredibly successful. It's just not enough land to go around. They're nomadic, they're shepherds, they're, they're um, herdsmen, but there's, they've been so successful. They've, 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 their herds have flourished. There's just not enough land to go around. And so there's arguments, there's feuds, kind of uh, fighting that breaks out between Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen. So let's have a look at um, Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13, verse 1, says this. Let's just read the whole thing. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife, and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he'd first built an altar there, an altar there, Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now, Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land couldn't support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling 
arose between Abraham's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham went to live near the great trees at Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, there's lots and lots of stuff in here. We don't have time to go into it this morning. But what I do want you to see is the way that um, Abraham here um, models meekness. Um, he doesn't have to push and prod and shove to get his way um, to the front. He doesn't have to dominate and control and make sure that his back's always covered and you know, he's got everything sorted and sorted out. Abraham trusts God. Listen to what he says um, in, uh, in Genesis 8, 13, 8 and 9. Abraham says to Lot, you know, seriously, let's not have any of this quarreling between you and me. We're between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. We're close relatives. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go up to the left, I'll go up to the right. And if you go up to the right, I'll go up to the left. That's his approach to this challenge in this situation. Imagine what would happen if all the families who are having disputes over about an estate or all the families who are in family business together um, would sort of take this uh, approach. Imagine what would happen if we took this kind of approach, Abraham's approach, a little bit more. Let's, just, let's not have any quarreling between us because we're close family. We're close. If you go up to the right, I'll go up to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Lot, on the other hand, is the younger nephew. He's the opposite of meekness. Have a look at verses 10 and 11. It says this, Lot looked up and saw. Lot looked up and saw. Saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered. It was like the garden of the Lord. It was like the land of Egypt toward Zohar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, and set out towards the east. And the two men parted company. First of all, Lot looks, uh, and the second thing is he, chose, he chooses for himself. He chooses for himself. And um, Lot's one of those guys who sees what he wants and then goes after it. 
Um, I want the biggest, I want the best, I want the promotion, I want the spotlight. I, I, I'm going to go after this stuff and I'm going to get hold of it because I can. Um, but you see the contrast to this is Abraham's approach to this whole, whole situation is, is meekness. He's, he's meek in his response. He's not weak in his response, he's meek in his response. He's, Abraham's this strong um, guy, but we know that he knows that he has a heavenly father who's even stronger. He doesn't need to vie for position. He doesn't need to bully or cajole because he can trust and rest in his heavenly father's provision for him. And so uh, the meek person says, um, I'm willing to wait on God and we'll see what he chooses for me rather than what I choose myself. Do you know, I, I don't have to grab or grasp or dominate or control or manipulate. I just don't need to do that. I don't have to lie in bed at night worrying and stressing and tossing and turning to try to figure out how I'm going to um, get ahead, how I'm going to be protected, how my interests are going to be protected. I, I'm, I'm just going to put all of my future fears, all of my anxieties, all my worries, all my trust onto the Lord. I'm going to put my career, my finances, my future and put it all onto him. I'm going to let the Lord worry about all those things. I'm going to sleep. I can give my Lord, you know, the Lord my ego. I, I, I can give him my need to be recognized. I can give him my need to be appreciated. All those things. You just give it all to him. That's what, that's what meekness, that's what it looks like. And so... Abraham, instead of lifting up his own eyes and choosing for himself, which is what Lot does, um, he does something different. Have a look at what he does in uh, verse, um, what happened, the result of what happens as a result of that in verse 14. The Lord comes to Abraham. The Lord says to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, the Lord says, Abraham, lift up your eyes. So Lot lifts up his own eyes. Abraham hasn't fought for anything. The Lord comes to him and says, Abraham, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. Now Lot, you remember, he chose land for himself and he headed east. Here's the Lord saying to Abraham, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. 360, it's the whole lot. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What's happening here is Abraham, the meek, is literally inheriting the earth. So there's this contrast um, between these two, these two men, Abraham and Lot. And Abraham is exemplifying, he's modeling this meekness. And, and where do we see meekness ultimately exemplified um, better than in the life of Jesus himself? Uh, Philippians 2 says this in uh, verse 5. It says, in your relationships with one another... You know, um, let's not quarrel, let's not fight because we're brothers, we're close family. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, 
verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he, Jesus, made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Blessed are the meek. Jesus. Strength. Strength under control. Strength that's controlled because he's been mastered by the Father and so he sets aside, he lays aside his majesty and takes on our form and humbles himself even to death. Death on a cross. And so you've got this incredible meekness and what happens? Carry on in reading um, Philippians 2 verse 9. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. See that? See, Jesus humbles himself, and the Lord exalts him. Jesus is meek, and uh, the Father gives him the earth as his inheritance. So for us, you know, we're called to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and, and we need to learn, we need to be pursuing, we need to be asking the Spirit of God um, for this characteristic, this attitude to be present in our hearts and in our minds um, as we learn to walk in meekness, not vying for position or favor or, or, or rank or any of those things, but um, living lives of sacrifice and uh, surrender and service. I just want to end with this uh, quote from uh, A.W. Tozer. It says this, it says, uh, Jesus calls us to his rest. It's the invitation from Jesus to us. Jesus calls us to his rest and meekness is his method. The meek man cares not at all who is greater than he, for he has long ago decided that the esteem of the world is not worth the effort. The rest Christ offers is the rest of meekness, the blessed relief which comes when we accept ourselves for what we are and cease to pretend. It will take some courage at first, but the needed grace will come as we learn that we are sharing this new and easy yoke with the strong Son of God himself. Why don't you stand and we'll minister to one another.